You're listening to Ari Snapshots, where each fortnight we chat about the science behind the weeds and decode some of the trickier concepts which crop up. On today's RE Snapshot, we're catching up with the, our latest RE team member, Dr. Candy Taylor. Candy has recently joined the team as a research associate. She's going to be looking at understanding auxinic herbicide resistance dynamics. And this work is being supported by an ARC linkage grant with additional investment from New Farm. So this was successfully secured by RE's Dr. Danica Goggin and former RE director, Professor Stephen Powers. So firstly, before we jump into this podcast, chat with Candy, a little bit of background on her. So she obtained her PhD in 2019 in the area of plant genetics and pre-breeding here at UWA and most recently worked as a UWA graduate research assistant with Wallace Cowling and Janine Crozer. She does join me now. How are you going Candy? I'm good thanks Jess. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and as all new staff members now know they do have to get roped into a first initial conversation with me on the podcast and it will be the first of many I'm sure but let's start at the beginning to give everyone a bit of context around your background. We did mention in the intro there that you did your PhD in plant genetics and pre-breeding. I know myself you've got a real affinity for lupins. Can you give us a rundown of what you've looked at in your PhD and just a bit of an overview? So for my PhD I was looking at genetic regulation of flowering time in narrowleaf lupin and I did my PhD under the supervision of Wallace Cowling who's a plant breeder based at UWA to geneticists so Matthew Nelson from CSIRO, Lars Kampfhaus who's got a joint appointment with CSIRO and Kurt Muni and Jens Berger who's an ecophysiologist at CSIRO as well. It was a really good project so Lupin is the main legume grain in Western Australia and Australia produces roughly 80% of the world's lupins. So WA in particular is a big producer worldwide of lupins and it's also got a special history with WA. Here at UWA, uh, Dr John Gladstones was involved in finishing the domestication of the species so there's a neat little relationship and tie with UWA. Anyway, one of the important steps in domestication of lupins was removing this process called vernalisation. So in wild lupins, they've got this process called vernalisation where they need prolonged exposure to cold temperature during winter. They're a Mediterranean winter annual plant. And without that, they either flower really lately or may not flower at all. And so this was sort of a barrier for agricultural production in cropping systems and finding mutations that get around vernalisation requirement is important. But um, the mutations that we currently use in breeding mean that there's little diversity for flowering time and all of the different varieties that are elite and currently in use in Australia flower roughly about the same time. And this is problematic for a couple of reasons. So the first is that They're well suited to northern Western Australian farming regions, but less so southern regions, and they could be achieving higher yields if there's slightly more variation and crops flower a bit later. The other reason that we want a bit more diversity is because of changing agronomic practices. So at the moment, just to accommodate the increasing scale of farming sizes and also to capitalise on early rainfall, which is becoming more and more common in season. If we had earlier flowering 
Uh, it just gives farmers a bit more flexibility and they can incorporate lupin crops more easily. And so, yeah, we're looking at genetic regulation of flowering time via the vernalisation pathway and it was good fun. Yeah. Very interesting. And I liked the little historical facts you glittered in there as well, Candy. Thanks for sharing that with us. That's really interesting. And we are very excited to have you on the team at ARA. You'll be working closely with Dr. Danica Goggin on the infamously complex topic of oxenic herbicides. So can you give us a crash course in what your new role involves? So I am also still sort of wrapping my head around it. It is quite complex. So we're going to be looking more into the molecular side of how auxins are perceived in wild radish plants and trying to compare how resistant plants perceive them versus susceptible plants. So auxins are natural herbicides and they're not inherently bad, but when they're supplied at high concentration, they become toxic and cause a series of events that affect normal processes and ultimately kill the plants. Because they regulate so many different or pretty much every aspect of plant development and growth, they interact with a lot of other hormones and are involved pretty much everywhere. So very complex genetic pathway, pretty much. So it's going to be interesting and a bit of a head scratcher. At the moment, Danica's been doing a lot of work on 2,4-D and so far it looks like most of the populations that she's studying don't have metabolism-related mechanisms for resistance. So by that I mean that they're not sort of breaking down the chemical and removing it before it becomes toxic. Instead, it looks like they might be doing something different with their perception. So there seems to be a correlation between the presence of a few different proteins in plasma membranes. So the plasma membrane is just a, sort of like a bag that holds the cell together pretty much. So there are proteins embedded in there. And at the moment, we think that resistant plants might have a different makeup of protein. So different type or different abundance of proteins that they're either enabling the plants to initiate defense mechanisms earlier than susceptible plants or they're just a little bit more blind to the auxin being present so it's only if they can detect it that the auxins become a problem so maybe they're less able to detect their presence so a bit more protected from the overall toxic effects. Very interesting, Candy, and it sounds like you're pretty full bottle on it. That was a great explanation. So you are a keen researcher and having just prior to your role with Ari, worked on narrowleaf lupin and chickpea phenology projects. What drew you to this role at Ari? It's a bit different. What was the, uh, what was the factors that made you want to jump in the deep end? <laughs> so there were two main reasons that I was attracted to the role at Ari. The first of them was the people. So I think one of the, the main reasons that I loved my PhD so much was because I had a really good group of supervisors behind me and they're fun to work with on a day-to-day -day basis but really invested in not just my project but in my personal development. And so as an early career researcher, I, I value that quite strongly, having a good support team. And I was lucky to interact with pretty much everyone at ARI, at least on a social level, during my PhD. So I knew you guys were a good bunch. And yeah, I thought that I'd have a very good environment where I can grow and enjoy my work here. So that was probably one of the main reasons. The other one is that I think it's a really good way to expose myself to new areas in science. So 
at the moment I love my topic but I've spent seven years looking at flowering time in Lupin and that's pretty much been it. I think joining the RA team and working with Danica in 24D and auctions gives me good exposure to new laboratory analytical methods and skills and I think it could really help broaden my horizons and yeah it's good to work from a geneticist point of view it's good to work with different species and just gives you a bit of insight into how different species behave and different things that you should be considering when designing projects and things like that just a good way to grow as a scientist to expand very good thought process behind it candy well finally uh, i just wanted to ask you why this work on oxenic herbicide resistance is such an important area to focus on obviously we have had danica goggin on the podcast previously talk about it but i think it is one of those complex areas it's always good to refresh people's memories on why this is an important area of research can you give us a bit of an overview so auxins and specifically 24d is the oldest herbicide on the block and we've come to really rely on them as other herbicides have become less effective over time with resistance building. Resistance seems to be a bit slower in terms of build-up with auxin herbicides, but our reliance is going to increase on them, particularly if it eventuates that glyphosate becomes banned in Australia through societal pressure, as it is doing overseas. So we're going to rely on them a bit more, and it's important that we understand their mode of action and how they're operating and how populations are developing resistance and it will just prepare us and make sure that we're best equipped to preserve these herbicides and keep them functioning as long as possible. It's also appealing to me that if the herbicides are more effective then farmers have to spend less money Uh, less time spraying herbicides and we sort of reduce the amount of herbicide residue that's released into the environment so that's also appealing to me. Great response there Candy and thank you for summing up why it's such an important area of research and thank you so much for coming on RE Snapshots for the first time we're so excited to have you on the team and that was a great introduction to where you've come from and what you're going to be doing with RE so thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks very much Jess.